your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle Empire. Welcome back to Off Tackle Empire, where we are talking about the only football conference that didn't lose a non-conference game yet. Technically true, the best kind. Absolutely. So, as we wrap up week one of Big Ten action on Off Tackle Empire's podcast network, I literally can't believe that I sound like a person this soon after pulling double duty in back-to-back games against teams from Indiana where my team was jobbed. Yeah, you must have gone into, like, the Goku, like, the healing thing on Frieza's ship, because you, I mean, even from two days ago, you sound like an actual person now. Oh, but I also have some video that I took uh, uh, near the end of the second one of those games, and I I played it back yesterday, and, like, I don't, I'm in there, I don't, that doesn't sound like me. Like, I don't, I do not recognize my own voice. (laughs) But in any case, as we wrap up what has been a hell of a weekend, I'm... We're, we've got just the usual crew today. It's uh, Steve Braun, Thumposaurus, with Andrew Krzyzewski. I'm going to crack open Griffin Claw's Mr. Blue Sky there in Birmingham, Michigan, because... In honor of the beginning of lion season, forward down the turf, forward down the field, that's what, how the song goes. College I, football season, please tell us why you had to go away for so long. Where did we go wrong? Do you see... Do you see my growth here? Mm-hmm. Do you see how I just pretended to be a boy? College football sure is wonderful, guy. <laughs> after seeing my team cement its fifteenth straight non-winning season, an extremely convincing facade, at least in your tone of voice, the listeners will not. Golly be here. gee whiz! I sure am excited about that playoff expansion. We're going to have some great games. They're very competitive with some very fine athletes. A thousand yards would be in the foreground of the place that you're staring off into right now. But yeah, hey, look, as you crack that open, you are at least reminding yourself you're not a Lions fan, which I got, I, I, every time I think of like, I was not aware that. Did, they were did you NFL. see the high tower catch? Am I really not a Lions fan? <laughs> so, I mean, remember though that the Lions get that at least once a season, and it's a different new rule that we all learn about every time. So. That is true. It does happen more often. It's just every few seasons with us. We've only yeah. created a new rule a couple of times. Right. Um, shout out to Michigan for the fumble. But let's start out with uh, a, a pretty big time bag fumble. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Jeff Brom, very fortunate that there were games spread out over five days. So by the time we got to last night, nobody remembered that Purdue had the worst sequence of play calling in a, the fourth quarter of a close game I can ever personally remember. It's one thing to have a strength and to want to lean into it. I understand that. And I tend to think that a lot of coaches do go too conservative in the quote-unquote four-minute offense thing where you're trying to protect a lead, but you're also trying to end the game as quickly as you can, so you just run the ball almost every play, and it's predictable. You end up giving the ball back. Whereas if you would just run a normal-ish offense, you might have moved the chains once or twice and ended the game. I understand what not wanting to just plow into the line three times and punt. I really do. I don't understand with two possessions to protect a fourth quarter lead after your defense gave you a a fourth quarter lead to protect on a very memorable puke six. Two possessions Purdue had to try to ice the game. They called 14 offensive plays, 13 passes. Get out of the league. You're not a Big Ten team. Get out. Get out. Get out. 
I, that's not to say that I don't still like watching this team play, but oh my god. You are never going to win a game in November. You are never going to win a game in bad weather. You are never going to win the division if you don't even try to run the ball. It's fine that you're bad at it. We get that you're bad at it. But if, if you're running into, like, in that situation, it would have been better to have... Penn State scored the go-ahead touchdown with 57 seconds left. I understand that they also ended the game with at least one timeout. But if Purdue had run the ball twice, the additional running clock would have ended the game if everything else remains equal. And given that Purdue, I mean, they threw in completions on, I think, eight or nine of those passes they attempted. So it's not like they were moving the ball for chunks and there was no reason to do anything different. Like, by that point in the game, it was clear the officials were not going to throw another flag, even though Penn State's grabbing on every pass attempt. Once you know they're not going to call it, you got to adjust your game plan accordingly, and Purdue didn't. It. It, it was a terrible game management decision by a coach who previously I have hand-waved and excused, but I can't do it in this case. It was terrible game management by Jeff Brom in a game against James Franklin. You should not be the worst game manager in a game against James Franklin. As this was unfolding and you were telling me your thoughts on this in real time, what I kept saying was, he only knows how to be Jeff Brom. Do you want him to simply not be Jeff Brom? If he decided not to be Jeff Brom, then... Perhaps they wouldn't have the lead in the first place. This is all he knows how to do. You live by being Jeff Brom. You die by being Jeff Brom. That's probably true. Just what's happened. I mean, shit, I remember one of these, what, four and a half minutes ago, he called play action. <laughs> yes, that's right. And like the fourth or fifth play, uh, pass attempt, O'Connell makes the motion to give it to the running back. Oh, are you kidding me? Like, that's the one they're supposed to believe. And we're not even, we're not even talking like... You know, West Coast type passing. I mean, he's going deep on yeah. some of these. He went, yeah. like, he went deep on a on a third and eight. He went like twenty yards down the field on one I'd of their say, last possessions. I'd say most of the attempts were well past ten yards. And like I said, I mean, King Doru is basically just a guy. He's not going to create a running game for you. Their backup to him is a walk-on. Their lead running back last year was a walk-on. That they can't find a decent scholarship running back anywhere in the Midwest to give a, a scholarship to and reliably get three yards of carry from at this point in their tenure. It tells me, that they're, like you said, he only knows how to be Jeff Brown. They're just not prioritizing that. So Thomas had seen everything. <laughs> it was time to go home. It's time to go home and just be bricked up behind the wall like Gordon. <laughs> like Henry. That's Henry, baby. I don't remember, man. It was 30 years ago I watched the show. But it's still like, uh, I can't do it anymore. So we, we had questions. Hey, you know what? You know what else is relevant from that episode of Thompson Tank Engine? Once an engine attached to a train was afraid of a few drops of rain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Um so the questions we asked ourselves before the game, can either of these teams establish a run game? No, not really. Purdue definitely didn't. Penn State had its moments, and what the other thing, this kind of feeds into a bigger theme, is Penn State's got a group of freshmen that are going to build the cornerstone of a team that either next year, maybe the year after, should win a conference title at least. Unless they bring in more pieces that James Franklin 
you know, feels like he needs to rotate in so they get their experience points, you know, like it, like you have a, like it's Pokemon, yeah. because that's, yeah. I, I don't understand why you don't just simply play the most effective running back by miles. Yeah, the overly scripted rotation to keep getting Kevon Lee in there when Nick Singleton looks like he could be as good as Saquon Barkley, I don't get it, but I also understand wanting to keep the guy happy, you know, you want to keep everybody happy, you've got a script you want to stick to, um... But yeah, I had Nick Singleton's going to be a hell of a player. Katron Allen looked good behind him. They had to play Drew Aller for a series right going into the second half for what a few people interpreted as Sean Clifford getting diarrhea right as the game was about to resume. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it was, hey, like, what are you going to do? Like, going to be a little he, bit distra- He did a lot better at, at concealing it than Lamar Jackson did the one time. Yes. And so, <laughs> which, again, look, that happens. Again, like, as we were discussing before we got on, like, if the elevator with all the coaches and it breaks down and they're stuck in there for 15 minutes, high protein diet, lots of coffee, a bunch of middle-aged dudes, that's going to be a bad smell when you open the doors. And once again, though, because they kept extending the game by throwing incomplete with a lead, they gave Sean Clifford a chance yeah. to beat the fraud charges on a technicality <laughs> for what seems like the, the 15th time in his career. I, which he did, because you know, for most of the game, he was mediocre at best. The, lot, the, the one thing I would say about Penn State in the detraction category is offensive line really doesn't look all that much better. Purdue, no. Purdue's pass rush has plainly taken a step back, but still had decent pressure, still got a couple hits on Clifford, I mean, including one where the way he planted it's like, it's like, oh, cool, he's injured again. So there goes Penn State's season. Um, but, you know, again... Aller, for the handful of snaps he was in there, sure looks like a guy who could be the guy and the temptation to take the red shirt off of him. We'll see how the year goes. Um, we still haven't done any writing content about our all-off-tackle umpire keeper league with with the Big Ten and Mac players, but before the game, I, I dropped Christian Vayu for Drew Aller because, well, I mean... Aller was named a backup, <laughs> and if, even if he doesn't play this year, it's a keeper league, so... Next year, he'll be a guy worth having. Um, I ended up picking up a wide receiver with quarterback eligibility from UCLA, whose name escapes me, because Michigan is throwing Cade McNamara out this out of the 10th story window. We'll get to that in a minute. But anyway, um, yeah, it look, big win for Penn State in this game. This was a little, we identified this in the preview for both teams as a little bit of a, where are you? Are you going to be relevant thing? And I, I can't rule Purdue out because... I mean, the West, right? Like, <laughs> But Penn State sure looks like they've got the ability to win a close game for one thing, and that they've got a lot of young players who are going to grow into bigger roles as the season goes on. Well, Purdue should be worried because even after even after Illinois lose, lost to Indiana, I'm still thinking like because of what we're talking about with Purdue's weakness and because we play them in the middle of November, I'm thinking, hmm, is that a game I might consider going to? If I'm considering going to a game against you, you got problems. <laughs> got some big time problems. The, Iowa. Uh, the other card on Thursday night, of course, was the game that was interesting to exactly one fan base, which was Minnesota, and that they finally, after the weirdest offseason of sniping, mostly coming from Jerry Kill, but a little bit of return fire, but still mostly coming from Jerry Kill, uh, for circumstances I frankly don't care about and don't want to get into. Um, yeah, they ground him into powder. I have to think Minnesota's probably looking to do better than 38 nothing in this kind of game. I mean, that's the that's basically the like 
any score less than that, it's like, well, maybe it was just a couple of garbage time scores late. Now, that's like that's a point where you really can't explain that away. And trust me, having been on the receiving end of a 38-0 from Alabama, um, it is a truly hopeless number to see on the other side of the scorecard. So hopefully... Oh, I've seen bigger ones than that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know. But it's like that's, like, that's like the smallest range where it's like, well, maybe one or two things went differently. Yeah, well... Um, so are, are we down here? Everybody ready to go back to their corners and grow the fuck up about all this? And, and There's nothing interesting to say about the game other than Mo Ibrahim looked more or less like his old self. Um, and so does the Minnesota passing game. Tanner Morgan and what should have been a no-holds-barred beat the crap out of them until the bell rings game completed. 13 of 19 passes for 174 yards. So passing game still sucks. Mo Ibrahim's going to be good. That'll win you eight games in the West, but probably not the important ones. And really, we can't say anything about it because, what, are we really going to compare Mexico State in the trenches to anybody in the Big Ten West? No, no, not. You could you could take the worst starter off of every team in the conference and you would still get a considerably better unit than what Mexico State put out there. So, congratulations. You, you managed a pretty convincing win against a, a, a team... That Illinois' last 15 years totally dwarf as far as bowl appearances and winning seasons. So, I, you know, know, hey, whatever. I mean, you did as good as you could have. Not about the opponent. It's about rubbing it in the old coach's face. And, again, hopefully that's the last we have to hear about this petty personal squabble. It's kind of diminished everybody involved. Um, Moving on to the Friday games. Michigan State 35, Western 13. Final margin there will hide the fact that, yeah, MSU's got some problems, I think. Um, since I wrote this outline, it has come out that Darius Snow is, in fact, out for the season. They brought in enough other guys in the front seven that they should be okay, but they're going to miss him. Xavier Henderson will also be out for an unspecified length of time, but it sounds like he'll return at some point. Um, yeah, I... <laughs> The offense was still way too... It, it was very much a modern baseball offense, right? It's either the home run or a three-and-out slash strikeout. So I think their wide receivers are really damn good. Um, this is a game where Jaden Reed was pretty quiet, and they still hit a number of long touchdowns. I think they they probably go four or five guys deep who you're confident in making a big catch. Um, the one game is definitely not going to be what it was last year, but... I think Berger and Broussard together add up to probably 75% of it, and that's basically all that I wanted. So um, the lack of the home run threat on the ground will change things. And I was a little bothered that it really doesn't look like Thorne took the step forward that I hoped he would. Um, I think the pass rush is going to kick ass. Jacoby Winman is going to be a name you will hear a lot, I think. Uh, Yeah, I didn't really see or look at any of this game. All I know is that I received two concerned texts from you and then went on and voted MSU 10th in my power poll because obviously it looked pretty... You, you were telling me that it was pretty bad, so I, I took your yeah, word for it. I wouldn't... Well, look, I, at this point, given a lack of data otherwise, I, I wouldn't say that's unreasonable. I do think Sean Tyler from Western is going to end up in the league as a running back. He looked pretty good. Um, but it was... Western's quarterback's first start, and he looked perfectly comfortable throwing against the secondary, which is not the look you want to see after the season they had against the past last year. So, but hey, what did I tell you? What did I say in the previews? It looks like they are, in fact, just about back to being, you know, the familiar type of prime Bill Cubit Western Michigan, where it's like, 
Doesn't seem to matter who they have at quarterback. He's going to make you really good. uncomfortable. He's going to be pretty good. And you're like, shit, why does this passing offense look so comfortable against us? Yep, I remember that. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, we'll see if they, if they give up much in the way of offensive movement and consistency to Akron this week. That will be a different level of concern because Akron is going to be pretty dreadful this year. But it's hard not to complain. It's hard to complain too much. Um, you did lose a defensive starter for the year and another guy indefinitely, but the new pickups they have in the front seven defensively. I mean, Winman was the big guy, but Aaron Brulee had his moments. Um, Chris Bogle had moments. So I think they're going to be better there, and maybe that'll hide the warts in the back end a little bit. I can't believe they still left so many guys open like that. But anyway, um, otherwise on Friday night, Illinois 20, Indiana 23. Right, so I drove all the way out for this one because... For like the third or fourth time like ever in the last 10 years, I thought Illinois stood a reasonable chance at competing in a road game. And I wasn't wrong to think this. That was right. Um, you know, again, don't even need the insurance to, to win. Just just want to be able to compete. And I will say this. Yep, the Indiana tailgate scene is fantastic. I understand that it was also like that back when they were bad. However, they also put 45000 in the stands for at least the first half, which, of course, is something that I can't see Illinois ever doing again. Indiana, as a football program, towers above us right now. I'm not exaggerating. I'm a little surprised at the crowd size. It um, was very, very big. We had a decent contingent there, but it was very full. Now, granted, a lot of them left during the <laughs> second half of... Yeah. Of a game where they would eventually break a nine-game conference winless streak. Yeah, that's a weird... I can see... I don't so quite get that, but... I, I bet the crowd was helped somewhat by it being a holiday weekend. Pretty good weather, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah. Beautiful um, evening. Yeah, I'm sure that drew up the crowd. Because, again, it, yeah, I, it's been a decade now since I was in Bloomington for a game. But, I, for my money, best tailgating scene in the conference that I've been to. I haven't seen all of them yet. The uh, veterans that I ran into of, of, of Illinois games in Indiana past did say that, you know, the shit they talk to us is mainly influenced by how well we do in basketball. Has nothing to do with oh, football yeah. at all. That's so it's like it was. So I guess they were saying it's nice to hear people actually coming up and talking shit to us instead of like ten years ago when there was just like actual pity. Even though our football team was better, that's not what any of them cared about. Um, <laughs> But yeah. what was cool was, first off, yeah, all my Malord is gone now because they were very, you know, they were very into that whole deal. They, and God, what a weird group of people. And two, every time, uh, every time it seemed like someone wanted to start an altercation, I could diffuse it very quickly with a bipartisan compromise. Hey, fuck Purdue, though. <laughs> <laughs> this was a very, very agreeable oh, sentiment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay, yeah. You're, you're all right. No, no, no. <laughs> that, that, that best one was that happened in, in line to get in under a big you know, concrete arch, and then they just decided to start chanting it <laughs> because they agreed with me so wholeheartedly. Anyway, uh, as for this game, let's start from the Indiana perspective. Connor Basilak is a massive improvement at quarterback over... A very, very hobbled Michael Penix and all of Jack Tuttle. Um, well, I still think that, and again, nothing to do with the fact that I grabbed him as a desperation move in our new Big Ten Mac Keeper League, but 
I still believe the people demand totals. Well, I certainly would have liked to see some totals. Uh, the Some of their new options in the receiving game looked pretty good. Uh, Camper, DJ Williams, had, DJ Williams especially had some very important receptions. They, they had Matthews last year. He got hurt like a month into the season, and that just that was like the beginning of the cave-in of the rest of their offense, where it didn't really matter who the quarterback but was. But you could almost consider him yeah. a new piece because... Basically, of, yeah. I mean, he's yeah. new to Bazalak, too. And their, their, their defense limited big plays very well. Um, yeah, I did, I did come away with the impression that even losing a couple of pieces, their secondary is still going to be legit. Um, certainly helpful to have that when you're in the Big Ten East. Cam Jones kind of feels like the new anchor. You know, who knows if he'll end them quite the same kind of leadership that Michael McFadden did, but he's every bit the player that McFadden was. Well, Bell had some very ponderous decision-making throughout the uh, throughout the third quarter, but he put together a hell of a drive uh, late in the game to kind of, well, really to win it. Um, the offensive line for Indiana is going to be a problem. It's, it's no better. It's, it's a problem. <laughs> that yeah. this, we commented on this a couple times, too. It's that, you know, they they went out and reloaded at all the skill positions on offense. They didn't add a single guy. I think, no, if I remember what Buff Komodo told us, they added a Juco uh, transfer on the offensive line. But I don't know if he was even projected to play. But they rolled back a lot of the same guys as they had last year. It's like... And this group wasn't very good, and they sure didn't look very good this week either. 35 yards on 21 carries from their tailbacks. Bezlak had considerable pressure in his face for most of the night. And granted, Illinois has a pretty good defensive line. You know, Randolph and Newton are probably as good a combo of ends as you'll see. But Indiana's going to see Michigan State's front. They're going to see Penn State, Wisconsin. I don't remember if they play Wisconsin. Um, certainly they play Ohio State, though. There's going to be teams that have guys that can get in your face if your line's not any good, and it really looks like they're going to have a problem there season long. So even if Basilek offers a bigger arm than anybody they played last year and the receivers are better, I, for how long? Like until It's until Basilek gets hit the wrong way. So obviously it would del- nothing would delight me more than Indiana going on an absolute tear here and prove it <laughs> actually. Yeah. Turns out they're pretty good. Now they're like Kevin Wilson, Indiana, but without the problems that led to his dismissal, and they win nine games. But unfortunately, it, it's going to be... I mean, he he's going to need to be a big part of that because that offensive line is just not generating any push for him. Yeah, uh, Defense looks solid, but did kind of get pushed around a little bit up front by an offensive line that is, is, is not perfectly gelling yet. As for Illinois... Wake me up when September ends. Yeah, man. Brett Bielema has not yet won a game in the month of goddamn September as the coach of Illinois. And, um, I mean, it'd be nice if... Well, no, yeah. The the only time that he lost a game that wasn't an absolute heartbreaker was against Virginia last year when he just got incinerated. What I would say is that I don't know that you can necessarily blame the coaching staff for three lost fumbles, uh... DeVito's interception, absolutely terrible decision on his part. Oh, yeah. It was it was really one of the only just awful decisions I thought he made all night. I thought DeVito reminded me a lot of Riley O'Toole in a good way in that the kind of decision-making, like, you know, he, he did a good job picking up first downs when they let him have him with, his, with on the ground. 
he he had adequate accuracy. It was the timing. He was a little late on a lot of throws. That's the kind of thing that can improve. But God, I don't know what he was looking for with that interception. Um, you know, one of the fumbles really seemed like it was an incomplete pass to me. Um, uh, there was, of course, a touchdown to Brian Hightower that. Uh, that was a catch. It was absolutely a catch by it. Was, it there, were, there are two different interpretations of that play, and both of them are a touchdown. About the, about the most honest response I think I've seen from a couple different Indiana folks was, yeah, but look, we've had so many bad calls go against us over the year, I'm not going to be mad about one going our way. I'm like, all right, well, at least we agree then. Yeah. Um, so. I'm not asking you for you to be mad about it. Just asking for you to to accept that that was a touchdown and that was a part of. I mean, as soon as I saw that, I knew we were probably losing by a score. Uh, yeah, it's, just because that's kind of how it goes. Right. It's always it's one of those things where if a play like that happens to you, it's like not only is that really bad in this moment, that feels like it's going to be the margin. And then another big problem that Illinois had was red zone play calling. Yeah. I don't know. Why, in God's name, they thought it was a good idea to have uh, Chase Brown throwing passes down there. Uh, or why they kind of got real... They, they lacked creativity down at the very end of the game when they, when they uh, could have put it away with a field goal but chose to go for it. Uh, they failed on a fourth down conversion with, again, very vanilla play calling. Um, running the same thing Indiana had just stuffed. Um... Just, like, I don't know. They, like, it's almost like they need some more targets in the red zone. Maybe some tight ends that haven't really graded out like we thought they would. Um, might be yeah. might be handy to have there. Um, but, uh, on the upside, Caleb Griffin uh, made all of his kicks. On the downside, the third time Hugh Robertson came out to punt... I smelled toast. I thought I was having a stroke. I, th- I think you gotta just hope that it was one uniquely bad night. His his he probably I mean his kicking against Wyoming looked perfectly normal and decent. Not as good as Blake Hayes, but you were gonna have to. Blake Hayes place. wins us that game. You cannot punt twelve yards and then twenty three yards in a Big Ten game where we only punted four times. Yeah, and when the margins are that tight, too, that kind of difference in field position makes a big difference. Um, Elsewhere in the conference this weekend, non-competitive blowout wins for Wisconsin and Michigan. Not a whole lot to talk about, except that the continuing as-the-world-turns aspect of the Michigan quarterback derby is just that. It's a soap opera by design, by intent of the coach. Supposedly, this was going to be Cade McNamara's week to start, and then next week, J.J. McCarthy would start. McNamara played for a while, and then they subbed McCarthy in like they did all of last year when McCarthy when McNamara was starting. And it's like, all right, well, no wonder Cade is playing like absolute crap, completing half his passes for minimal yardage. He, <laughs> in the week that was supposed to be his, they're still bringing in the other guy. I somehow don't think that this week against Hawaii, they're going to be taking McCarthy off the field to play McNamara for a few snaps. Like, I don't, that would be really weird. I don't think they're going to do it that way. Someone got McCarthy in our fantasy league for three bucks and uh, as an at an auction, and uh, seems like that's really sticking in Andrew's craw here. That and the fact that, of course, he took McNamara for a, what he thought was a pretty decent bargain. Like $10, I think, which isn't all that much. For, for what should be a game-managing starting quarterback. 
Yeah. I was going to have a problem anyway because he and Peyton Thorne have the same bye week, but... Uh, yeah, I assumed that the logical thing was going to happen. McNamara would win the Derby because he won them the Big Ten Championship last year. McCarthy would transfer, and I'd have a quarterback for at least another year. That didn't happen, or isn't going to happen. I mean, at this point, if you think that... Who, who knows? Who knows what's in the mind of that absolute lunatic running a program in Ann Arbor? But, well, <laughs> you don't have to wonder because half the time he'll be willing to tell you, especially if it's on other people's rights. But anyway... Well, the um, thing is... <sighs> Of all the people that have earned clout from last year's Big Ten Championship, the one who's earned the most clout is Jim Harbaugh. So, you just kind of got to... Yeah, he burned a lot of that. What was he cooking? (laughs) What was he cooking, the Thanos meme? So, plus, what are you really going to learn against Colorado State and Hawaii if you're Michigan? But that was the case from the beginning. You were never going to learn anything about your starters in either of these games, except... Well, you know what you might have learned here is that turns out Cade McNamara is a little bit prone to distraction if you threaten to take his job for no goddamn reason. That's what they learned. My message to Michigan fans is simple. Whoever is going to play quarterback is going to play quarterback, and it's not going to matter until you have opponents that could possibly beat you. Uh, Until then, maybe just enjoy the fact that you actually have tomato cans that you can kick around instead of needing miracle plays by Devin Gardner to beat Akron. Other non-competitive results in the league. Maryland ended up with a three-score win over Buffalo. It it was tight for a little while. They're still very reliant on the big play. So... uh, Not to Dante Dimas, they aren't salty. Yeah, no. They they got a couple of 40-plus yard runs out of their running back, Roman Hemby. But still feels a little bit unsustainable. It feels kind of like the Maryland of non-conferences past. Um, Nebraska covered their scuffles also with a three-score final margin. It was 7-7 at halftime, and plenty of people were looking. They sure did try to make this one a game. I mean, it was 17-17 at one point. I think it was late in the third quarter, right at the end of the third quarter. One-score game at the end of three, yeah. Um, And, I mean, not to mention Scott Frost called all his timeouts uh, (laughs) late in the first half in a situation that really seemed to help them out. Uh, because I think they they were out of timeouts and they were driving late, and he was like, oh, well, under two minutes, I can get the ball and I can go down and score. He's only got seven points so far, but... Yeah, but th- these are the 45 seconds that this team will operate at max efficiency and score. Sure. Might be inaccurate, sure, sure, sure. but yeah, from Sc- between Scott Frost and Jeff Collins, I saw some Lovey Smith-ass timeout usage. Gosh. Well, <laughs> no, Scott Frost, actually, that was anti-Lovey Smith timeout usage. Yeah, yeah, this is on the opposite end of the polarity where... Uh, he was not content. So, the big game in the non-conference this week, arguably nationally, depending on what programs you prefer. Ohio State struggled with Notre Dame for a while, ended up with a 21-10 win, I think was the final score. Yes. Plainly, their defense has taken a big step back towards competency. Um, Notre Dame only ran 48 plays. And look, Notre Dame's got a new quarterback, new head coach, but the same offensive coordinator. The head coach, obviously, was there last year, so DC. So there is continuity in that program, and they've got enough talent that, yeah, you, you understood. They were, it was a 10-7 Notre Dame lead at halftime, and then Ohio State shut them out after halftime. Um, Irish did hold down Ohio State's big play capacity somewhat. But I think if you're an Ohio State fan, again, the defense was really good against an offense that has some weapons, um, albeit a new guy at the controls. Your offensive line limited 
what's usually a pretty good Notre Dame pass rush to one sack. And they got over six yards per carry from both of their tailbacks. Um, I think like 15 from Williams and 16 from Henderson or vice versa. So, you know, the, overall it's a pretty efficient offensive performance, not the explosiveness you want, but Jackson Smith and Jigba had a tweak type injury. They ended up holding him out for most of the game. You're fine with Marvin Harrison and Maneka Ekbuka. Like, Ekbuka had nine catches for almost 100 yards, so... Well, of course, you know, one of the keys is that competent secondary play courtesy of Brandon Joseph, which, once again, a Northwestern player going to Notre Dame and making a big, big impact after uh, Benis Moronic. So the only w- way to stop Northwestern from supplying the enemy <laughs> with uh, front-line combatants is to burn their program to the ground so that nobody good ever plays there or come... I mean... You know Peter Skaronsky could oh, be looking. Oh, shit. Yeah, imagine Peter Skaronsky going there. Yeah, Pat Fitzgerald's not simply going to change things up, now is he? He's not going to let those guys unionize for no reason, so... Uh, well, anyway, good job. Good job. We, we had a good start to that, Scott Frost, didn't we? Everybody else, <laughs> do your part. We need to stop Northwestern from sending these people to Notre Dame by simply making it so that they no longer have any good players. <laughs> Last couple games in the Big Ten this week. Now look at Rutgers winning as an outright road dog against a Power 5 opponent, albeit a pretty bad one, um, out of the gate, even though they punted from goal to go in this game, which is usually one of those surefire black swan events that, oh, you have no chance of winning this game. Dominated the game on the ground. Completely ineffective quarterback play. A surprising platoon. Um, Noah Vedrill did not end up attempting a pass. I don't think he got in the game. Instead, it was Evan no. Simon and Gavin Wimsat splitting the snaps at quarterback. Uh, leading receiver was Johnny Langan, the occasional Wildcat quarterback, with a mighty two catches for 25 yards. I, I get that they're trying to develop this slowly and just be good at what they're good at and then build it out from there. It's taken a little while to get any kind of pass game whatsoever. It, it, you, I shouldn't be saying Bo Melton ain't walking through that door because he wasn't that good, but he would have been the best receiver on this team by a mile. They're clearly going to try to involve Aaron Crookshank in a bunch of interesting ways. Basically just be enough of a headache to defend and have enough options, gadget plays and gimmick plays. That's hard to keep track of him with Langan and Crookshank and two quarterbacks. So I understand they just want to be a pain in the ass to defend. But that really only works if they're in close games. Boston College, I don't think, is supposed to have a god-awful offense this year. No, Jerkovic is definitely considered an NFL guy. They have a couple of receivers in Zay Flowers and... uh, What's his nuts? Jalen Gill, the former Ohio State transfer, who give them some firepower. Like Flowers is going to be an NFL receiver, too. But boy, they sure did shut down the Boston College running game. 1.2 yards per rush, 29 yards adjusted for sacks. Well, this ain't, this ain't, uh, this ain't Steve Adazio's Boston College. Absolutely sure. not. So it was really a hell of a performance defensively. We may have undersold that Rutgers defense <laughs> a little bit, but we'll see. I mean, we'll see. We'll see um, what the quality of. I mean, because again, this is certainly no Colorado State. There's certainly no Wyoming, right? True, this true. is a Power Five team yeah. that was that they were what an eight and five team last year, I believe. I don't recall. I think they struggled more than that because Djokovic was hurt for a good part of the year. But yeah, if you're to look at quality of opponents, I mean, aside from the conference game with Illinois, Indiana, like 
and Penn State Purdue. Notre Dame is really the only opponent a team in the conference played this year that's definitely better than Boston College. Yeah, because that's I'm, I'm looking here at the uh, you know the the SP plus stuff just with all of the stats and boy they sure did look extremely. Honestly, Rutgers should go to the Big Ten West now. Rutgers is a Big Ten West team now. That's what they're going for. I mean, it's a weird, weird approach to take in a division where you've got some higher flying opponents. But that's what they're going for. Just trade them, trade them for Purdue. That's all, all you got to do. Uh, of course, Bill Connolly's note on uh, on the, the Illinois game was, "Ooh." <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, look, I think Illinois outgained Indiana by 120 yards or something. But yes, now you said something along the lines of, that's a very unusual thing for Illinois to do, outgain the opponent and lose a game. And I say, I was on campus for all of the Ron Zook years. They got a long, this, Brett Bielema's got a long way to go before he gets to be, to, to be as good as the 2018 that went 5-7 and seven while being top 25 in yeah, Bill Connolly's stuff. Unusual for modern, you gotta, like, that's, that's 15 years ago. They were... Like, there were, I read recently, there were 23 games in the Ron Zook era where Illinois lost with more yards than their opponent. So, yeah, no, it's, it's I mean, it's an older, it's an older code, an older but it code, checks out. It checks out, sure. Um, all right, so for this last segment, <laughs> we're, we're going to advise all of our listeners who may have children tuning into the broadcast that you may find some of this content graphic and disturbing. The following segment may not be suitable for all audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Iowa 7, San Diego State 3. South, South Dakota, Dakota State. State 3. I wish it was San Diego State. That would be even funnier. But you, you all know the drill. That's no touchdown. No, that's, that's two safeties and a field goal. It's true that Iowa was missing their number one running back, their number one and three receivers, probably depending on how you line them up. But let's not pretend that that would have made any damn difference. This was a game in which the offense got into field goal position once. Well, twice because they attempted another one and missed it. And did nothing else for the rest of the game except burn the clock and give their punter space to work. There were 286 yards of offense in this game. Not by Iowa. Total. Total. Right. Here's and here I said this in the false tarts column. You know what happened was that Kirk and Brian Ferentz spent all last season having you know message board things and tweets read to them by printed off and read to them by, by people. Standard, yes, yeah. about how they were being dunked on for you know trying to engineer the shittiest possible offense that can compete in a conference title game. And then they spent this offseason thinking, you know what? Yeah, they want to complain about an offense. We'll give them some. In very I'll dad you, energy. I'll give you something to cry Super about. Super dad energy. <laughs> yeah, I'll give them something to cry about. You think that's bad? Family guy cutaway. <laughs> it's just uh, Spencer Petrus turned into QBR of 1.1 in this game, which I didn't think was possible. I thought it was kind of like the SAT where you get like 800 points for showing up and throwing a pass. Uh, 11 for 25, 109 yards and an interception. Their future NFL tight end, Sam Laporta, had two catches for, I forget how many yards, but less than 20. Um, Arlen Bruce, the only receiving option on the day who had any kind of efficiency or explosiveness. And they didn't target him until the second half, basically. Um, 
Five receptions on ten targets for 68 yards. Yeah, Torrey Taylor punted nine times, I believe it was, and put it inside the South Dakota State 27 of those times. And the other two times, the ones that went for touchbacks, bounced in the field of play. The return team just couldn't get down and field them in time. He could have put all nine inside the 20. I think it would have been six of those inside the 10. Sam Laporta was targeted seven times and had two receptions for nine yards. But on three or four of those others, the ball was thrown so far over his head, it looked like Petrus was trying to throw it to somebody 10 feet back on the sideline. But everybody is focusing solely on the passing game. Iowa had... 34 rushes that weren't sacks for 57 yards. 1.7 yards per carry. Yeah, and I, I can't really blame LaShawn Williams too much for this. The fumble that he lost was a good hit by the linebacker. This offensive line has taken a notable step back, and it was worth wondering, like, all right, this line wasn't very good last year, and they had a first-round pick, the Remington winner, Tyler Linderbaum, anchoring it. He's gone. How are they going to be better? And they're not, so I guess we have our answer. Uh, man, it's such a chicken and egg thing at this point where it's like, yeah, the personnel should be better than this, but the system should definitely be helping them out more than they are, right? It's, it's impossible to decipher which is really the problem here. I, I, well, It is almost not, like they engineered the offense this game to maximize punting. It's very likely. And the other thing... If their offensive game plan had been executed perfectly, they still might not have scored an offensive touchdown. No. Well, so again, two safeties, one successful and one unsuccessful field goal. I don't recall... You know what? I'm curious now. Do you have a box score open in front of you? Yeah, there were 16 drives. How long were those two field goal attempts? Did they take a snap in the opposing red zone? They had one snap in the opposing red zone. Uh, I'm seeing a 0% red zone success rate, so... Well, we know that. Uh, (laughs) It's just mind-boggling. And the the thing is, they have a new kicker. Again, he was one for one on makeable range, or one for two on makeable range. So that's a little bit of a question mark still. Tory Taylor is clearly going to be able to reliably give them incredible field position. Their defense really only lost a couple of big pieces in Dane Belton and Zach Van Valkenburg um, and Matt Hankins. They could be every bit as good as they were last year. Uh, I just, I, I would be beside myself. I, it, I very much understand. Again, like, this is a program that just won the division last year that has reliably won eight or nine games you know, for most of the last decade plus. But I still, I, this is the one thing where I'm like, I'm not going to blame Iowa fans who are tearing their hair out over this. This was, I, it was impossible to watch and yet I couldn't look away. I didn't watch a minute of any of the other games in the noon block. I, I couldn't, I was like, I, I can't believe what I'm seeing. This game's been on 5-3 forever. And then they score another safety. It's like, well, now it looks like a normal football score. I kind of wish it had stayed at 5-3, baseball-ass team. Like, oh. Well, and the thing is, we're not talking about North Dakota State. South Dakota State's a good team, but last year they tied, I mean, they tied for fourth in the Missouri Valley 
I believe they are ranked like top 10, top 12. Or they were like that this year, a Division one semifinalist. That's yeah. a good team, but that's not North Dakota State. No, it's they're they're it's not, not an a, elite yeah. team. Elsewhere, that's around, yeah. Area. So that, that brings there's nothing else to say about it. it I still think it's. In fact, I mentioned a couple times off the cuff at the moment, but with the benefit of hindsight, I I think that this is going to end up being the case. Iowa's probably going to win the West, aren't they? Uh, and you look back, and it's just like if you're a fan of another team in that division, and you lose to Iowa this year, you might have to hang it up. You, you I tweeted to... I tweeted this uh, <clears throat> when that game was in progress. Oh my God. When we lose to this Iowa team, I'm going to break into the Mackey building and headbutt a running bandsaw. Just unbelievable. Uh, the good news, though, is that regardless of whether you were embarrassed in a loss or in a win this week, lots of other stuff happening nationally that distracted people. Got off early Friday night. Virginia Tech lost to Old Dominion for the second consecutive time. Their coaches were stuck in an elevator on the way back down from half. And that ended up being an apt metaphor for the game. That's what we were referring to earlier, by the way. Well, yeah, not to mention, yeah, they snapped uh, they snapped the ball on a field goal try so badly, so far over the head of the holder, that Old Dominion recovered it for a touchdown. Yeah, and it's just like, I, I'm pretty sure Frank Beamer is still alive, but this Virginia Tech program is determined to put him in the grave. Like, it, the, the complete role reversal from how dominant and, like, spookily good they used to be at blocking punts, blocking field goals. Like, it made you afraid to kick the ball against them. And now, like, this travesty, like, man, I don't... Like, you know, there was you know, a friend, lot of... There were a lot of fuck-ups involving field goals that colored the non-conference here. Well, before we get to that, the last note on Virginia Tech Old Dominion is uh, the Hokies have agreed to play them every year for the indefinite future, (laughs) including a couple more road trips to Old Dominion. (laughs) So I don't know what moron athletic director signed off on that. It's it's an it's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it works out for him. (laughs) They've not lost to him twice. And as there were multiple graphics of the future Virginia Tech schedules and Old Dominion's on there every damn year. Through at least 2031. Wow. <laughs> I cannot imagine locking ourselves into a Northern Illinois series. <laughs> that's I, that's basically what it would be. That would be. It's me like, curious. you know, so maybe sometimes they won't be good enough to beat you, but a lot of the time they're going to be, and they're always going to be throwing their best. The only reason we haven't lost them recently is because we last played, played them in 2010. We haven't played them yet, and you shouldn't. You should never schedule them until you're back, until you're like, a more stable version of yourself. Yeah, don't do that. Elsewhere, um, Georgia lost about 20 players to the draft and turned Oregon into prosciutto. Well, they had a lot of help from Bo Nix. Yes. Who, like a lot of people talked about like, oh, you know, he plays in these big games sometimes. He, 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 Have you seen he, how well he plays in them? Right. It's like, yeah, there's, there's a reason why. Like, he is very much an Auburn quarterback of the last <laughs> several years. He sure did go a long way just to get shredded by Georgia again in a different uniform. Game long way <laughs> just to lose. Yeah, pretty much. So there, there was nothing interesting about the game. It was over nearly instantly, it, you know. A lot of people gave Mario Cristobal a lot of credit for building up a a competitive, like beefier Oregon. Oh, they're better on the lines, man. Their last three or four games, they've gotten their asses kicked by Georgia and Utah twice by teams that are actually good on the line. So it's like, what really did Mario Cristobal actually accomplish while he was there? Other than finding 
unbelievably than, innovative yeah. ways to lose to Stanford. Yeah, other other than truly game breaking idiocy in game management, like the, he it, revolutionary but, in keeping that David Shaw's tenure alive. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, elsewhere, Arkansas beat Cincinnati in a pretty interesting game. I know the the national storyline is going to be ah oh, Cincinnati put them back in the box. They're relevant again. I think if this game had happened in another month, Cincinnati might have had a very different outcome. They just had too many big pieces to replace, and they're not, you know, again, they're not a program that recruits at the level where you can plug and play. But I think they're going to have answers at a lot of their spots. I mean, grabbing Ben Bryant from Eastern Michigan sure helps settle things down. I think they'll ultimately be fine. I mean, certainly they're not going back to the playoff, but that's not what us peon programs do. So um, it was a good game. Florida also won a high-quality back-and-forth with the Utah team we just mentioned. Um, and then elsewhere, on the theme of escape. So Virginia Tech didn't get away. But, man, other ACC teams fucking around and scheduling teams where it's like, what were you thinking? How did you think this was going to go? North Carolina State ranked 13th in the country. Needed a missed field goal as time expired after a missed extra point. Uh, earlier yeah, in the after his game-tying extra point. To get away from East Carolina. And East Carolina, it's really that's not the Ruffin McNeil version. Yeah, so the last 10 years, East Carolina has been kind of bad. But prior to that, they used to really fuck with programs like NC State and Virginia Tech and yeah. all the ones in that area that would schedule them. They would get they would get yo-hoed. They would get keel-hauled. They would get walked. Yeah, and so NC State's best preseason prognostication in at least a decade very nearly run ashore. Uh, by a bunch of pirates, unfortunately didn't happen. And likewise, North Carolina needed a failed two-point conversion in, I think, double overtime or maybe triple to get out of No, game. it was actually in regulation, if you can believe that. Oh, that's right, because well, App State scored like they 40 needed points. They two the, yeah. failed two-point conversions in regulation because one was going for the win, and they had it absolutely set up, and the receiver just... Turned around too early. The running back out of the backfield turned around too early to get the ball. He was so wide open. It is physically painful for me to remember. Yeah. Um, but then, on the ensuing onside kickoff, North Carolina took it to the house, keeping the game alive because they decided to kick the extra point <laughs> instead of go for two to yeah. actually end the game. Yeah. So then App State went and scored a touchdown. I kept not talking about how going down would have ended the game because I didn't want to jinx it because... It, so rarely, you know, that's the kind of thing you always think about. Boy, that touchdown keeps the game alive, but then it never actually ends up mattering, and it came so close to mattering this time. And I'm yeah, so, uh, Houston was the team that needed double overtime to escape against the Roadrunners. Almost got meep meeped by Frank Harris. Uh, lost a couple of his weapons from last year, but he's still a damn good group of five. Ah, and we poached their coaching staff only to, you know, now yeah, great, thanks. Now we're both bad. I mean, they scored 40-something points, so they ended up doing all right. Uh, still, probably the highest-profile game of the week, even if it's probably not going to be all that important. Um, LSU muffed two punts and had two kicks blocked, including the game-tying extra point after recovering a fumble by Florida State on the two-yard line at the other end of the field with like less a minute, two minutes, maybe two minutes, 15, something like that. A couple minutes left, not much time at all. Drove the entire length of the field. Um, got a b- bizarre gift from the officials because their tight end went down inbounds after catching the yeah. ball. Game should have been over. 
Refs stop the game for some reason, look at it, and they're like, uh, we're going to give them a play because we don't want to be killed by LSU fans on the way out of here. That's basically what that was. Yeah. And then LSU scores the touchdown as time expires, and the extra point to tie is blocked. And... Ball don't lie! And... My wife proved that she is an absolute warlock because after, I mean, we're sitting there watching it. She's not much of a football fan, but she basically knows what's going on. LSU drives down and scores this touchdown. She's like, wow. And she kind of, she looks over at me on the couch and she's like, it'd be crazy if they missed this extra point. And I was just like, I just turned and looked at her like, what are you doing? And then, <laughs> and then they line up the extra, I was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. And then, extra there, there it is. And yep. I just, I just turned and looked at her. And I was like, can can you do free healthcare next? Like, like <laughs> use this power for good? Uh, but yeah, uh, probably one of the more significant games of the season in terms of memorability and watchability. I think the Florida State is better. I think LSU is very much the talented but dysfunctional mess they've been the last couple of years. Well, the problem is, of course, that all of the good players on LSU, for the most part, most of them, were not brought there by Brian Kelly. Therefore, in his eyes, they're pretty much worthless, and they can get fucked. They can pound sand. So, who's he going to play? Because two of his better players decided to scrub their entire social media of LSU references. <laughs> yeah, that would include All-American wide receiver Keishon Booty, who had two catches last night for, I believe, night before last, for like 10 or 12 yards, something like that. He was not... Targeted very often because Jaden Daniels just kept running it whenever he possibly could. Because Jaden Daniels was run out of Arizona State for being an unlikably bad teammate, according to all reports. Well, yeah, that and, yeah, refusing to stay in the pot. I mean, there, there was such a marked difference between, oh my god, what was the guy's name? Travis. Jordan Travis. Jordan Travis. Yeah. Such a marked difference because... It was it was like Daniels was just looking for when can I bail out of the pocket? All right, I can bail out now. Whereas you saw uh, Travis stand in the pocket, take some serious hits, and deliver some really accurate throws. Bought himself just enough time to get the throws where they needed to be. And four state receivers did let him down on a number. Of Absolutely, that, that this game could have been a blowout, but. Uh, Boy, then Brian Kelly uh, was Brian Kelly after the game. Uh, asked about Malik Neighbors, one of the more talented players on this LSU but, team. But the guy who did muff two but, punts. Yeah, the guy who muffed, did muff two punts. By the way, was very heartwarming to see. He clearly was very upset about it. I mean, oh, the yeah. game was in Louisiana. Was a- and his teammates picked him up, you know? And they were they were hyping him up, right? You could see that going on. That was very heartwarming. And then the coach was asked about him, and he said, well... You know, we, we knew the scouting report on him. We knew he was a very talented guy. and, and uh, he, he. But ultimately, this is my responsibility for believing that he didn't suck. You know, you can put it all on me. Paraphrasing. He lied to me about he, he, sucking. He lied to me he, about he, he fooled me into thinking he didn't suck. Well, you know, all I can do as a coach is try to improve myself. And sure, we're paraphrasing, but not by much. No, he, he literally he, did he say... The, he threw the kid under the bus. He literally did say, though... You know, yeah, we had the talent evaluation from from recruiting, and we had four weeks of camp to where we thought he was a pretty talented player, and uh, it, it turns out we were wrong. I mean, that's basically how he put it. I'm going to, you know, just so that you understand that we are paraphrasing, but not by much, I'm going to look up his quote, so give me one second here. Here we go. I've been doing this a long time. You put a guy back there, a guy like Malik Neighbors, you watch him, you evaluate him through four weeks of practice, and you feel comfortable with his elite skill set and his mindset that he's going to be able to do a great job, and that wasn't the case. 
Kelly said, parasized Ross Dellinger. That was a mistake that we made. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> Whoops. It is true. He goes on to say, we didn't lose the game because he dropped those two punts. We miraculously were able to overcome those. You usually wouldn't. But that's, you know, that's on us. We made that evaluation. We watched him catch punts, and we felt like he was in a position that he could do that for us. <laughs> so, yeah, basically, he's like, hey, look, our bad for thinking he was good. Well, you know, the interesting thing is that uh, I've done some research, and uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of Notre Dame fans who believe who believed firmly in the last few years that Brian Kelly basically wasn't even meeting with recruits anymore in person. Freeman was running a lot of the defensive recruiting. A lot of the uh, assistant coaches were doing the jobs, including several of the ones that he took down there. But there was a lot of the staff that stayed behind. Yeah, well... It does not suggest that a guy with Brian Kelly's pedigree is going to struggle with recruiting. No, nor, nor would I necessarily be too concerned about the staff thing, honestly. So consider it this way. I mean, Marcus Freeman... Very young. I'm pretty sure he's not even 40 years old. Um, pretty sure he's the first black head coach in history in Notre Dame. It's also... No, nope. Ty oh, Willingham. Willingham, right, yeah. Uh, it's also his first head coaching job. A pretty high-profile program. And for Tommy Reese, that's alma mater. So I can understand the coordinators. The other staff choosing to remain behind. There's a little bit of like a what's going on here. But look, it, there are two things I think have been well understood about Kelly. One... He's a very good coach whose assistants very often go on to success. And two, he's an absolute lunatic. You recall the off-season interview uh, with Robert Sala and um, um, Shanahan. Who no, Lafleur. Right? Yeah, no, yeah. Lafleur. You're right. Yes, who were both grad assistants for him at one time, way back when he was at Central Michigan. Were invited to his Christmas party, only to arrive and find out, no, actually, you're here. You're not here for the party. You're here to park people's cars, put on this valet vest, and get the fuck out of here. Like. Yeah, that's who. That's he's both of those things, and at this point in his career, you do not expect a leopard to change its spots. But man, that is a fan base that will chew him up and spit him out if the results don't quickly turn around. I was very, very happy that he went to LSU of all places because I so, so badly want to see him get run out of town just once. Source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire!